Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast, and this is not Todd Adkins. This is Chandler Benoit. But I'm here with Todd Atkins, yeah, the director of Life I haven't done that leadership. in maybe over a year, Chandler. I'm, I'm glad you were able to do that I'm today. glad I was too. Yeah. Now, it's not just me and Todd in the studio. We also have Dan Darling from the ERLC, and he is the VP of Communications over there. How's it going? It's going well. I'm glad to be here at, at the Lifeway headquarters. Yeah, brave Bring trust. Brave the rain to get over here. Brave the rain. Yeah. February is the worst month of the year. Have you noticed that? Uh, okay, so I would say January fun. and February, I feel like I'm in London. February is in, the worst month. It rains every day. Yeah. It's, everyone gets sick. It's it like, fluctuates from 70 it, to 20. It's like, it's like the sad scene in a romantic movie, but every day, you know, where it's raining, people are crying. That's yeah. every day in February in Nashville. Um, I was on a long flight to an undisclosed location uh, where I was doing training with people. And, uh, on the way back, I was like, I, man, I really need to fall asleep. And people that listen to podcasts know I don't like really watch things. I like try to work until I fall asleep. Um, but I was like, I'm going to try to find a movie to make me fall asleep. <laughs> and, and I was flipping through and I was like, oh, you've got mail. This is interesting. I'm pretty sure it'll make me fall asleep. And <laughs> I w- I'm interested to see, much like wa- watching a Seinfeld episode and thinking, about all the problems that would have been solved with a cell phone. What's like, you know, what, like, let's go back in time and look at dial up AOL. Yeah. And it was, it was fascinating, but there were many, many dark and stormy, rainy scenes. Yes. It was, when it was bad. Yeah. That's, that's Nashville in February. Sorry. Yep. Well, Dan uh, hosts the, the way home podcast and also just came out with a new study with LifeWay, it's actually called the Church and Racial Divide. Dan, can you just tell us a little bit about that study? We're excited about it. Yeah, so Trilly and I have been working on this for several years, trying to get off the ground, trying to really get, you know, kind of build a build this and and get people interested. I, I think the the purpose of it is, you know, obviously we're in a time of racial tension. I think, um, you know, and there's a lot of interest in racial reconciliation. But we needed a study that was very basic, you know, like a lot of us that are Christian leaders going to conferences or reading books or participating in, you know, online conversations are at one place in, in this conversation. But most of our people who are, you know, um, good people who love the Lord are, you know, this is kind of a discipleship issue. And so this, the idea behind this is to really provoke conversations in, in small groups. I really think small groups is where... I mean, leaders are really interested in racial reconciliation and preaching on pastors are, but we want to give churches a tool that in their small groups, they could have really important, meaningful conversations. So it's, right. it's very basic. You know, what does the Bible say about this? You know, let's set all the politics and all the, all the noise, but what so does what, the Bible actually say about this? And why, why is this a, an important issue? So what do you say to the guy who's thinking, cause I'm just going to play devil's advocate mm-hmm. cause I'm kind yeah. of thinking, man, I'm kind of done with this yeah. or this is like, how, are, are we done with this yet? Yeah. Can we, I mean, people can are worn out. I do think at the, at, at the grassroots level, if you will, at the congregational level, there hasn't been actually as a, a ton of just basic instruction on how should a Christian think about these things. Right. So one of the things we just really try to do is have 
uh, diversity of voices talking about what does the Bible say? Okay. You know, so, you know, Ephesians two, Revelation seven, those things. Well, I, I do think uh, what's interesting is in this day and age, you probably have been um, like, it's to the point where I may think I know mm-hmm. about this issue or I may mm-hmm. think I've processed this issue. And it's like, no, you've just really had, uh, uh, you're tired of the shouting, you know, yeah. sides of this viewpoint and more than I've actually processed that. And that's right. And I there's a lot of unhelpful conversations about it on <laughs> both sides, really? you know, like you don't say online, you know, it's, it's like nobody, but not on feel Twitter. Like, yeah. I just not I, on Twitter. I don't feel like you can win Facebook. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You just don't feel like you can win. But I think at the local level, things are not as bad as people think they are. Right. And yeah. in, in communities, people are working things out and are working together. And so I, 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 I'm more hopeful at the local church level. Right. Right. So. All right. Well, let's get into our uh, five leadership questions today. Um, who are you presently? learning from your, you know, director of communications at the <laughs> Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. That's what ERLC stands for, mm-hmm. correct? Yes, you got it right. Uh, and so, I I mean, you can answer this from a communication standpoint, uh-huh. from a personal standpoint, from a ERLC standpoint. So I'm just leaving the doors wide You know, I'm, open for I'm always reading like two or three books at a time. I usually have one. I'm reading on Christian living or theology and I'm, I love history. So I'm reading a biography of FDR right now. Which one? It's called an, un, it's called a, a political life okay. by Robert Dalek. It's so good. Um, I love that stuff. Right. I love, right. I, I like biographies a little bit more than leadership books. Don't, don't be offended, Todd. Biographies are leadership books, bro. Good. Thank you for saying yep. that. You're like the leadership guy. So I feel affirmed <laughs> when you said that. Everything's uh, a leadership book to me. We just, um, so we, I mean, we literally just recorded with uh, Karen Swallow Pryor and I was like, hey, everything's a leadership book. <laughs> yes. Sense and Sensibility is going to be a leadership <laughs> book for me. Uh, and I'm reading, you know, and I'm also just trying to learn things. You know, I turned 42 recently and... Um, Last year was a great year just of thinking through like what am I gifted at? What where should I be? What mm. what should I be doing? So there's a there's a few books that really help shape me. So like David Brooks' book, The Second Mountain. I don't know if you've read that. Nope. Fantastic book. You should read that. Um there's another book called uh, Seculosity by Dave Zoll, Lutheran guy. But don't be triggered by that. He had good good things to say. I've heard of it, haven't read it. It's fantastic. Um what else did I read? You know, a, a, Alan Jacobs stuff, how to think is good. And I'm just reading a lot of, you know, like I read David, like when I'm thinking about cultural stuff, like cultural issues, how should I think about this issue or that? David French, you know, writing at the dispatch is just like indispensable for me. Um, what else am I reading? I've got a teenage daughter, so I'm <laughs> trying to read some stuff on like parenting teens. So if you have any recommendations, that'd be helpful. I have no recommendations, <laughs> none. So... And I won't, I, it's my, one of my middle kids' birthdays actually today. He turns nine. Yeah. Oh. Yes. Yeah, my second oldest. So I'm a couple, still a couple years away from the teenage. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm an associate pastor too. So I'm also reading books on that life. So there's a great book on shepherding called The Care of Souls that just came out that was really good. Um, and preaching and stuff. So I'm, I'm reading a wide variety of things, if that makes sense. 
No. And trying to read some fiction too. I mean, I got to tell myself, hey, read some fiction. So then I'll do that. What's your, what's been your latest or go-to fiction? You know, it's really bad, but I love, I like literary fiction. So like, um, the, the last one was it all the light you cannot see. That was oh, good. Yeah. That was fantastic. Um, where the crawdads sing. I just finished that one. I've, it's on my one to Fantastic. read list. But then when I really want to be entertained, I will read like, um, Grisham or I'll read, um, uh, Dan Silva writes these spy novels about the, the secret Israeli like spy team or whatever. And it's fantastic. Mm. I mean, it's, it's not like literary and like you, you wouldn't brag about it with all your highfalutin friends, but I don't know. I like that stuff. Right. Right. Do you ever read Rosenberg stuff? Yeah, I do read his stuff. I haven't read in the last few. I also like, um, have you read Brad Thor? I've yeah. read one or two of his. Yeah. Those are good too. Yeah. I like that stuff. So, so going back, um, I love reading presidential biographies. When man, you said I, FDR, I was just like, all right, which one? Uh, man, I love reading presidential biographies. I mean, I, that's what I mostly read in my leisure time. And I like to visit presidential libraries and yeah. get mugs from them. And man, that's awesome. <laughs> collect those. I'm, you know, but I love that stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. So what would be, what is the favorite biography of a president you've read? That's a big question. That's hard. I mean, I just finished one on Eisenhower called The Age of Eisenhower. That was good. I think he's an underrated president. Um, you know, Meacham's stuff, like his one on George H.W. Bush, his, yeah. you know, Jackson, uh, Ron Chernow, all his stuff. His yes. book on Grant. Grant, I just going to say this, <laughs> underrated president, very underrated president and leader. Um, so his biography of Grant is just the thing you get it with a biography is you get not just a biography of that person, but you get a biography of that era. hundred percent. Oh, so, totally. and it's sometimes Especially with Grant, it's better to like understand an era through, through the eyes of a person going through it. Mm -hmm. Right. So I enjoy that so much. And I've read some of the colonial era and, you know, some of the world war two era and some of the modern era too. There's a great biography of Reagan that came out last year, um, by, by, by the name of Bob Spitz. That was fantastic. A one, and there's a one more, sorry, one yeah. volume biography of Churchill that came out last year by Andrew Roberts. Huh. That is uh, I've seen that. fantastic. Cause most of the Churchill ones are like eight volumes. Oh yeah. yeah. And even though I'm, I like to think I'm going to do, I'm going to make it through that. <laughs> I probably won't. Was it, is the last lion? Is that like the big one of Churchill? Yeah. And I really need to do it. I want people to think I've read them. I know. Even I though just I want to be able to say I've read it. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, do they have a five x speed in listening? <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, be a little tough. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, I mean it, when I think of uh, when I think of Grant, mm -hmm. it is he is crazy underrated, but he was willing to do whatever it took. Yeah. Is a big part of how he won. He's yeah. like, it's okay if I lose this battle. Uh huh. I'm going to win. It doesn't matter yeah. if I lose. I mean, the bad thing is you're talking about people's lives here. And so yeah. other generals were afraid mm -hmm. to lose a battle or lose men or lose whatever. And, and Grant's like, this he is the He had to be decisive. Him and Lincoln knew we had to win decisively. And what I like about Grant, you know, he was kind of a failure up until right till the oh, Civil yeah. War. Oh, yeah. um, there are a lot of myths about him being an alcoholic. He actually wasn't. He overcame that. He overcame alcoholism in his life and he would he wouldn't drink, you know, at state dinners and stuff. And mm. he would turn the wine glass upside down so they wouldn't be tempted to drink. And like he did a lot for uh African African Americans in the South, the people that goes unnoticed. He really fought for them. Right. Anyways, I, I think he was just a great 
one of a great, great American leader. So well, we could, we could probably talk about this for a long time. Let's move to the next question here. What is the main point of emphasis for your leadership team or even yourself right now? Man, that's really, I think, um, really, well, I think, I think excellence is important, but also think, um, when you're a leader and this is hard to do, I don't, and a lot of leaders, I don't think excel at this very well, but really, um, being attentive to the, to the needs of the people that work for you. Right. So I think of like pastors, for instance, I mean, a lot of, a lot of preachers, a lot of, you know, every pastor has to be a preacher, obviously <laughs> not every preacher is a pastor, you know, like mm, that's true. there's a sense of like, and I think today, particularly whether you're leading, leading an organization or, or a team or a, um, or a church, you can't get too far away from the people you lead in terms of like, you're supposed to be out ahead of people. Right. And so you're reading more, you're studying more, you're, but you can't do that in a way that communicates that you despise the people you lead. You look down on the people you lead. Uh, this, I think there's a real gap right now in the country. It's not necessarily left, right or Republican Democrat. I mean, there is those things it's between, you know, a kind of bubble that we can create in a leadership class, in the educated class and the rank and file people. And I think we have to just be real. And I mean, it happens, it can happen to denominations, right? That, you know, we're a Southern Baptist denomination. We can get too far ahead or we can just forget the pulse of the people that we, we lead, right? So there's a way to lead people and move them and challenge them and bring them to a place without making them feel like, uh, you're talking down to them right. or that you're better than them. And there's, it's a real art, I think. Yeah. I mean, because it, I, I do think you're right. It's almost a, um, it's not necessarily, uh, I think being, uh, too far. It's it, it, thinking that you're above them mm-hmm. is probably the biggest issue or that you're better or yeah. anything like that. Um, I think adjusting yourself, it's really a posture issue because if you approach it with the right posture, you're leading with people. Um, and man. And it's a fine line, right? Like <clears throat> yes. people do want to be led. That's the thing I've discovered in churches and organizations that every, and everywhere I've been. Most people don't want to be leaders. They want to be led, hmm. right? They're looking for someone to say, where are we going? How are we going to get there? What's the vision? At the same time, you know, you, you, we have to do that in a way where they feel like you're still one of them, you know? Well, the dangerous thing here is that the person who has the loudest voice or the clearest vision for where we're going mm-hmm. is deemed to be the leader, whether they are one right, or not. Right, that's a great point. Or whether they have uh, selfish ambition or not. It's, mm-hmm. it's never been more easy to be a narcissist. Mm-hmm. Uh, than in this day and age as well. Mm-hmm. So it it all... Yeah, and I think leaders have to not have a bubble around them. You got to have some people in your world that are for you and with you, but also willing to tell you, hey, I think you messed that up. You shouldn't have said that, or I don't think we should do that. Right. You know, if... And I think that's where abusive leaderships... You know, it doesn't happen overnight. Like, no one gets up and says, you yeah, know, I'm going to really be a jerk to my 
people today. It's slowly over time. Like if you haven't had someone tell you you're wrong in five years, then, you know, you, you create this alternate world, this bubble that, you know, you're isolated. And I, I think that's a big, big part of well, leadership failure. If there is an absence. Okay. So if there is, uh, there's two extremes when it comes to conflict. If there's an absence of conflict, mm-hmm. man, that's a messed up culture. At the same time, if there's an overabundance of conflict, I think that's also a messed up culture. Yeah. It, it it really, for me, it comes down to a leadership is a lot of, it's actually cultivating healthy conflict in order to move mm-hmm. forward. And how you handle conflict is super important. How you handle conflict in a team meeting uh, is really important because, mm-hmm. you know, if, if there, th- we come to some great uh, impasse and I blow up on the team mm-hmm. and, and we move forward, it's extremely damaging yeah. because they're not going to tell me what they think mm-hmm. uh, in the future or they'll be more reserved. The more I do that, the less people are going to actually tell me what they really think. I think emotional health is, is huge. And I don't think we, as Christian leaders, we think about that enough. But personal insecurity, I think, is a real driver of bad leadership. Mm. Um, If you understand who you are, why you're here, why you've been put on this earth, I think you can lead well. So I read this great book last year called The Soul of Shame by Kurt Thompson. He talks about, uh, and one of the things, takeaways was, you know, if you're known, understand that you're known by God and that you know God. And if you understand that and you really get that, you can, you can lead in a way that, you know, is, um, healthy. Uh, you, you show me somebody who is comfortable in their own skin. I'm not saying cocky. I'm not saying entitled. I'm saying comfortable in their own skin. They're not trying to prove themselves. Right. I'll show you somebody who is on their way to being a pretty good leader. Right. Um, and I think some of this comes with the age and experience. This is, this is why I mentioned the book, The Second Mountain with David Brooks. And one of the things he talks about, people get to this, you know, the first mountain you're climbing, trying to achieve the second mountain. It's like, I know what I can do. Mm-hmm. And this is what I'm here for. Um, I think that's really key. Uh, emotional health. And then, and then your health of your team feeds off of that. So somebody's listening is like, okay, for my emotional health, how do mm-hmm. I grow in that? What would you what would you tell them? Like, here's just a few steps of how to increase your emotional intelligence. I mean, I do think going through the layers of your life, if you can, sometimes you need a therapist. Sometimes you can read good books, or you can do this, uh, and, and your relationship to the Lord, understanding that God is your Father, and understanding that relationship that He is for you. Um, what it means that God is our father is just such a huge thing. Some people grew up, like I grew up with a great dad who affirmed me, who always told me I was going to do good things, which, you know, at the time when you're a kid, you don't even notice it. But now I'm like, man, that was, he, he set me up. So I've never, we all struggle with insecurities, but I haven't had to struggle as much as some have, but there's others that haven't, you know, and I think working through that, if you have those deep insecurities. I, I think somehow working through those, if you, whether you need to talk to somebody or whether you just need to really process through with scripture and understanding who you are. I mean, and it can be hard for us leaders to think about that. Like I, I remember when I was in my first year of seminary, I went to Trinity my first year and then I transferred to Southern, but they, 
they do all this self-assessment stuff, mm. you know? This was before the Enneagram was cool, but they did like all the other one tools, right? <laughs> right. And I hated it because I was like, I didn't come here to study about me. I came here to study about God. But it was actually helpful. Well, it goes back to what you said. To be like, oh, yourself. this is who you are, yeah. Yeah, knowing yourself. Now, I think that can go God. too far. So I'm like mostly pro Enneagram, although I can be a little cranky about it because it can go too far to where like everything's like, oh, that's because I'm a one or I'm a three. And it's like, no, you're, you're actually just being a jerk right now. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I do think some of that's healthy. That makes sense. And it, I think of, uh, I think it's John Calvin says like, when you, your knowledge of God helps increase your knowledge of self. Yes. And, yes. and it just redefines that. And like you said, it's just like comfortable mm-hmm. in your skin, confidence mm-hmm. in the Lord. You're not finding your worth and leading that team. It's yeah. It comes back to identity again. And also as a leader, if you start to understand people on your team who are different, even in conflict, you can maybe think, okay, this is where this is coming from with this person. So they're acting out this way. I can react to this and be mad. Or I can think, you know, this is coming from this other place with this person. You know, this is why they're doing that. I think that can help you lead better if you just understand, know your team. Well, and understand how they're going to respond to conflict. So... You know, one of the things that makes those assessments really helpful is to say, oh, well, this person will have a tendency to make excuses and shift the blame, whereas this person will attack and overwhelm. Like they're not even it. It is it. The conflict is happening. They are just going to win the conflict. Doesn't matter what the costs are. Mm-hmm. Um, this person just wants to diffuse it. This person is just going to roll over and take whatever, but secretly they're going to yeah. see them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just, so it's helpful in that to say, okay, well, I need to give this person a little bit more of a break. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if this they, person needs more affirmation. Oh, totally. It's great. And just understand that, okay, they need, they, this person needs more affirmation. This person doesn't really want flattery. So me flattering them actually makes them a little bit more frustrated. So this yeah. is what they need. They need respect or whatever. Do you all use a uh, personality test at URLC? <laughs> I mean, the executive team, Dr. Moore made us take the Enneagram. And I w- at the time, I was really cranky about it. <laughs> I was like, because I, you know, I hate fads. I hate evangelical fads. I, I don't jump on that. trains. I just, I just, I wait for it to pass and see, okay, is this going to last? But I was like, okay, I'll take it. And at first, you know, I'm an Enneagram nine, which means I'm a peacemaker. And at first I was reading the assessment and it says, you know, lacks motivation. And I was mad. I was like, what? I've done, (laughs) I've done this. I've written books. I've gotten this far. And then I started reading other Enneagram nines, Colin Powell, George W. Bush. I'm like, Hey guys, I'm a nine. This is great. (laughs) It was really helpful on the negative side though. And also as I started to think about it, like, Oh, okay, this is why I tend to do this, these things. This is why I tend to enjoy a good argument. But then also in the end, I'm always doing this even subconsciously, even if I officially disagree with you, I'm going to say at the end, you know, I, you make some good points. I see where you're coming from. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> it, it is, uh, it's interesting on Enneagram, my only issue with it, and people know, listen to the mm-hmm. podcast, they're like, he's going to go here again, is just the number of people that think they understand it. Yeah. Because there's, there's non-types of people. You don't know, you don't, you can't know it. So don't s- sit around and wax at a lunch table. Serious. It It is, drives me bonkers. We're actually having Ian Cron on the podcast. Man, I'm here. glad you said that because it affirms what I think about it too. It can be helpful. I don't like putting people in boxes because there's more than nine different kinds of people. Yep. We're all different. And number two, number two, 
for heaven's sakes, do not put it in your Twitter profile. <laughs> yes. If you're doing that, like, and okay, number three. <laughs> <laughs> He's just leaving that one. The person who Instagrams a stack of 15 books to under, like, if this thing is so helpful, why do you need 15 books to understand yourself? I'm like, mercy. Right. That's a lot. Right, right. Anyways. <laughs> Don't tell Ian I said that though. <laughs> I won't. I'm gonna have problems because when it comes on, if he if he does any research, he's gonna be like, "It's hey. helpful, but it doesn't explain everything in the world." No, I mean it's a good it's, guide. It's, it's not, great for individuals. I would say for teams, it's difficult. Just like I would say about the Myers Briggs, you need the reason why Myers Briggs people, kind of like myself, love Myers Briggs is because you need a person, you need you need a coach or you need a consultant to be able to use it effectively with teams because you cannot possibly remember all of that stuff unless you're trained in it. So for me to come in for a day and walk you through Myers-Briggs is probably beneficial to the individuals, but it's not beneficial mm -hmm. to you as a team. The yeah. best thing still coming and going for a team is disc, and that's the lion, otter, golden retriever, beaver kind of thing. Uh, Why? That's an, <laughs> because you understand annoying. it. No, because the common person, the common man... Will understand it and be able to say, "Oh, I know if somebody's an I." I think people game the disc. Well, they, well you can they, if they you think about it. But the first time you take it, and can we talk about the questions on these tests that are that are annoying? Do you like hamburgers or pizza? I like both of them. Like, why do I have to choose here? Yeah, stuff like that. Right, Todd's me. choosing hamburger on that every I'm time. Choosing <laughs> hamburgers all I'm just saying, day like, long. yeah, and the disc you can game it. You want to go to baby for lunch? If if you're a real aggressive person, yeah. You can game it so that, see, this is why I'm a jerk because I'm a whatever, a, oh, high, yeah. a high whatever. But but you're always a combo of those things. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's it's helpful when you're on a team. Yeah. Uh, because people can understand it. It is helpful. All right. How do we get out? Enneagram always messes things up. Just kidding. It does. Um, the shadow side is really good, though. It is very good. Very good. All right. Uh, what are a couple of things that you feel like you have to do every day other than read the Bible or practice spiritual, spiritual disciplines. What are, what are a couple of things that you do every day to like stay sharp? So, um, that's great. I'm going to cheat and say my morning routine has become very important to me. Hmm. So it's funny. I used to be a, my wife's probably the most disciplined person I've ever met. I mean, she's just like clockwork with her life. And I just so admire that me, like I used to be a night owl. I used to do all my writing and stuff at night and then not have a great morning routine, but I've switched in the last two years and it's mm. been so great. So she gets up about five, I get up about five thirty ish, you know? And for me, like that morning routine of going downstairs, that cup of black coffee hitting my lips is just like, you know, it's awesome. <laughs> and reading my Bible and then I try to read a little bit too. I think to me reading, I have to read every day something, you know, just to keep, I just, I enjoy it. Uh, and then I go walk, I walk our neighborhood and I listen to my audio books, which is like so great. Um, so those are important. Uh, I have to interact with people every day. I'm, I'm a very extroverted. So I like, I like people. Um, I also have to be creative. I have to be creative in some way every day. So whether I'm writing an article, you know, doing something, even in our Slack conversations internally, there's a lot of good back and forth. 
to me, that's a form of creating. I just have to create something. Mm-hmm. If I go a few days and I haven't done any creative work, I feel empty. I feel like it's not me. Um, I don't know if that that's how you guys think. Um, I just have, I have to, I have to be creative in some way. Right. Have you read the book Win by Daniel Pink? No, should I? Oh, I think it's helpful. I mean, it's probably a good, you could read a summary. I mean, mm-hmm. if you, if you enjoy the idea, it would be good to deep dive, but it talks about, um, the idea of when we have periods of when we're most productive. Mm-hmm. So he talks about, I think it's the lark and the night owl. It's yeah. some of us are, we are early to rise. Some of us get our work done late mm-hmm. at night, but he talks about like you go in stages and seasons of your life. But was it easy for you to make that change? Because from being, hey, I'm a night owl, that's when I got most of my work done. Was it like an instant switch or was it like slowly changing? It was, it's weird. I mean, our kids were younger, so they would go to bed earlier. And that's when I would get a lot of my work done. And I was younger, so I could stay up late and you know drink Mountain Dew and just like <laughs> <laughs> finish my work. Woo! But, but you know, I, I got to the place where I'm not much of a, routines guy. Now I have colleagues that everything in their life is down to like every 10 minutes mm-hmm. is on a chart or on a wow. journal somewhere. If I had to do that, I would, if I was required to do that, I'd get into fetal position and start crying. I could not do that <laughs> with my life, but I have learned the value of routines and regimen. Like reading Jamie Smith's book, you are what you love was just hugely formative mm-hmm. for me. Like these, I've seen how these routines over time form you. And so, t- you know, getting, I go to bed earlier so I read maybe a few chapters at night before I go to bed. That's been huge. Like I get way better sleep if I read before I go to bed. And then getting up and having my my morning routine just sets out my whole day. It's yeah. just it's just huge. I don't know when I'm most creative. You know, like people say I'm most creative in the morning or most creative in the afternoon. I don't know if that I have a yeah. preference. I try to schedule blocks in my day for deep work. Have you read that book? I have deep not read work. it, but enough people have read it. I feel like I've, <laughs> I've got it. all the good You've points. Heard it Dude, about it. you read incessantly. <laughs> we need to give you a list. I know. Those books, I you feel don't like. You read the kind of books that I read. If you guys read them, I get all the stuff I need out of it. <laughs> so I schedule these time blocks, you know, to, to get work done. Yep. See, I don't need to read it. I just, He's that's got what it. I do. He's got the idea. He's got it. I don't know. Okay. This is important. You mentioned black coffee. Mm-hmm. What kind of coffee is it? I mean, we're not snobs, so right. we'll we'll do Dunkin' Donuts coffee that we'll make at home. But I'll also take good coffee. Like, um, right. we have a routine though. It's just like coffee in the morning, you know. Now, when I go to Starbucks or something or whatever, then I'll get like a latte. But most of the time, when I'm drinking coffee, it's black. And I just have gotten to where I just love it, you know. Have you always drank coffee black or was it in the last couple of years that it switched? Um, no, I'm I have curious. done it for the last probably 10 years. Oh, okay. Man, something when I turned 40-ish. Yeah. All of a sudden. Things do happen. Like black coffee. Yeah. And like when I turned 40, like the routines matter to me more now. Yeah. Rhythms. Church every week. I mean, I always went to church, but like now I see like how those rhythms matter and the morning routines and reading and all this stuff is so formative. I don't know. I've become my dad, I guess. It happens, <laughs> man. Yeah. Well, I know you talked about earlier, you're reading some parenting books and all yeah. that type of stuff. You've got teenagers in the house. What does leadership in your home look like now? <sighs> you know, it's, it's interesting. We're in a time where, so my oldest is 15, my youngest is eight. It's a really fun time. Kids are fun. You kind of see how they're changing how and many growing. Kids? Four kids. So 15, 
11, 10, and 8. Three girls and a boy. Um, so it's more coaching right now. Hmm. I mean, and obviously discipline and rules, but like coaching because they have opinions and they have ideas and trying to shape like what are they good at. We try to have, I mean, it's important for us to have meals together most most nights. I would say four out of five nights. I mean, unless I'm out of town, like we have, we have at least dinner together. Sometimes we have breakfast together. That's, and sun and weekends are important. So even though I speak and do a little travel, I, I, I'm almost never gone on the weekends because going to church with our family is just so, it's so important. So that's kind of what leadership looks like. You know, and Angela and I share that, you know, we, we're very different personalities. So like when it comes to parenting, I grew up in a very strict parenting home, which I'm grateful for probably a little too strict in the environment we grew up in. Angela grew up in a home that was had was the opposite, no rules. So she she tends to be the the more strict parent and I tend to be the more <laughs> lenient one. Right. So I tell people I'm like the ACLU and she's like Sharia law and somehow it, you know, it meets in the middle. <laughs> you know? Wow. All right. And and it meets in the middle, you know, like we we work things out. But <laughs> I, I don't know how to describe it in my house. It's just bedlam. I have four kids. And I yeah, it is a lot of stage. bedlam. There's a lot of, and you just have to kind of also understand, okay, it's going to be like crazy for a while with kids and, and talking to, um, what's been helpful to me, parenting books are really great and podcasts, but people in my church who are maybe a, a few miles ahead has been the most helpful. Hmm. Just even ordinary people. Maybe their kids are, are in high school or they just graduated. Right. And I'm looking at them and I'm like, you're still normal and your kids still seem like they like you. So what did you guys do? Right. How did you do the phone thing? How did you do this? I've got a lot of wisdom from that. Just someone a few laps ahead of you. That's good. So. All right. Moving into uh, our last question then. What would you tell your 20 year old self about what advice would you give mm. about leadership or... What would you tell your Man, that's a great question. I would say um, that God directs your steps. So you make decisions, but but you don't realize how God is like directing those things, right? I mean, 20 years ago, I would not envision that I'd be right here. Um, so I would just say, trust the Lord. God directs your steps. Take opportunities that are presented to you. Work hard. Um, be someone willing to learn and grow. So we have, we have interns come in every year and I always just tell them like, be willing to sit and learn from people that are older than you. Um, be willing to work hard in your job, in your profession, in obscurity for a while, right? Get good at it. I think like your twenties, when I look back, your twenties, you're trying to figure out what am I good at? What can I do? I mean, there's a few people who just like, no, right. You know, what can I do? What am I good at? I think in your thirties, you're getting to that point where you're really fine tuning in becoming the best in your field at whatever. Right. And then I think when you get to your forties, you're kind of like, okay, this is what I was, you know, put on earth to do. And I'm comfortable with this. Um, so I would, I would say that, um, be, you know, God directs your steps, Take opportunities as they present you. Don't overanalyze your decisions. 
Don't overanalyze the next job. Be wise, get advice, but just just go. Right. You know, don't don't paralysis by analysis. I mean, right. navel gazing. Should I? Should I not? Should I? You know, take the next job, and it's not the rest of your life. Your life's going to take a lot of twists and turns. And sometimes, like if you have multiple things you enjoy doing, you'll have seasons in your life where that will be the way you make money. Mm-hmm. Other times, you'll have seasons in your life. Well, that will that will be your your side hustle, your avocation, and something else will be what you make money with. So mm-hmm. don't overanalyze. Like if I sign up, this is the rest of my life, and I'm like, you just life is full of seasons and chapters and 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 all that stuff. Also, I would say, man, if if you have an opportunity at twenty, get married and have children, and like start that process. Um, I mean, I I think nothing. I mean, that is like for men, you know, being married and having children. I'm not saying that's the only way thing God uses because God calls some people to a life of singleness. Just want to get that out there, but. Nothing for men, nothing really helps. I mean, it for me, mature it helps you. Mo- mature you. <laughs> I mean, even in my career, right? So there's been times I've had to like, man, I got a side hustle to make some money. So it's pushing you into the thing that you're good at to, to do, right? You're looking at these kids. You're like, I got to feed these kids, you know? So I, and, and also you want to, it, for me, it pushes you to, to, to do work that, that your family can be proud of you for doing. Does that make sense? Yeah. Totally. It's it's like a subtle thing, but I think it's huge. So, hmm. I think that's really good. That's a great answer, Dan. Um, well, thank you so much. Actually, I do have a follow up question because one of the things that strikes me about what you said that I really resonate with is when an opportunity mm-hmm. presents itself. Do it. Don't. Yeah. Don't or don't overanalyze it. Uh, there have been times in my life especially in the church, I feel like uh, we have a tendency, mm-hmm. e- even a church that is potentially going to hire you, not as a senior mm-hmm. pastor, but as any role, will say, mm-hmm. hey, so tell us why you're called here. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I've had to answer that. I I'm, I'm, don't know that I am called here. I'm here. Here's who I am. Here's who God's made me to be. Here's how he's yeah. designed me and wired me. And here's the experiences that I've had. And yeah, I think this is where I can do the most damage at this point in time yeah. for his kingdom. Yeah. And I would say this, I would say two more things. One, and this is a huge temptation more than it was when I was 20 because there wasn't social media or anything. Right. Man, I want to tell this, like, don't try to be a thing right away. Just do good work. Like I had a conversation with a, a former intern, great kid, and he's you know he's in seminary. He wants to write a book on, on this particular topic, which is it's needed. But I was like, man, you're not ready to write that yet. You need some life experience. Mm-hmm. Like, don't try to be a thing on Twitter or whatever. Do good work; it'll get noticed. You know. Um, and the other thing is, in your twenties, especially when you're kind of coming of age. You may get into a, sometimes you have to do work that you hate in order to figure out what you love. Right. So I had to do a few things that I didn't like to realize, man, I hate this, but I do like this. <laughs> right. I mean, I mean, you right. have to have some bad experiences in order to know what, so don't, again, don't overanalyze those early jobs, those early things. It's not the rest of your life. It's a season. You're, you're being trained and developed and honed. Even if you're in a job, 
you know, you may not get to your whatever dream job it is till you're in your thirties or forties. You have to work up to that. Um, I think sometimes there's a tendency to want to shortcut all that formation and all that work by just right. taking the shortcuts to greatness. And I, I just, I don't think that's, that's good for us. And also last thing work as you're working on, on all that work on who you are, your character, you know, you're, you don't want your talent to outrun your character. That makes sense. No, that definitely does. I sound like an old guy. <laughs> <laughs> an old soul. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, thanks Dan so much for being here with us today. Uh, thanks Chandler again for co-hosting today as well. Um, please hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review. Uh, you can pick up many, many books that Dan has written or talked about, which has been numerous, uh, on MyFay.com, Amazon.com, or wherever books are sold. Thanks for listening. See ya.